0: Exciting news at This Week Health, starting May 16th, our keynote show is moving to Thursdays. Catch every episode weekly on our This Week Health Conference channel. Don't miss conversations with top health system leaders designed to transform healthcare one connection at a time. Subscribe to This Week Health Conference and stay updated every Thursday. Today on This Week Health.
1: Our frontline workers are just getting beat up and I have a lot of empathy for what they're going through each and every day to take care of the millions of patients, and just making sure that we are giving them the tools to do their jobs well, that's becoming more and more of a challenge. And so with those limited resources, we're seeing even more strain on those healthcare workers.
0: It's Newsday. My name is Bill Russell. I'm a former CIO for a 16 hospital system and creator of This Week Health, a channel dedicated to keeping health IT staff current and engaged. Special thanks to CrowdStrike, Proofpoint, ClearSense, Meditech, Cedar sinai Accelerator, TalkDesk, and Dr. First, who are our Newsday show sponsors for investing in our mission to develop the next generation of health leaders. All right, here we are for another Newsday episode. And today we are joined by another Cedar sinai Accelerator participant. We have Maddie Pearlstein Burnett, co-founder of Eternally, joining us on the show. Maddie, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you for having me, Bill.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm looking for I, I always love having the accelerator companies on because you guys are doing some some great stuff. G- give us a little uh, understanding of what Eternally does.
1: So Eternally is a personalized service providing advanced care planning support for patients of hospital systems. So we do telehealth by helping patients through advanced care planning or end-of-life planning conversations from the comfort of their own home.
0: So if I'm doing an advanced directive with myself or with my parents, you actually offer a service where a clinician would come out and sit down with us?
1: Yeah. So what happens today is we know that doctors would love to take the time to meet with their patients and understand what are their goals of care? What does meaningful life mean to them before diving into treatment? But oftentimes there's not enough time or resources to make that very vulnerable conversation happen. So we're outsourcing that from the health system and taking that on on behalf of that physician to make sure that the patient has the time and space and emotional capacity to continue that conversation as they choose. And by pairing that patient with one of Eternally's clinicians, they're actually getting great guidance in terms of what actually happens. What does it mean for you? And what does it mean for your family? How are they impacted by those decisions?
0: Any idea what the percentage of people that don't have advanced directives when they need them? It's a pretty high percentage, isn't it?
1: Yeah. So what's fascinating is in polls across America, about a third of patients say that they do have an advanced directive, but when it comes down to it and you actually look to see when these decisions are recorded within the medical records of a health system, around 3% of patients actually have those decisions uploaded into their medical records. So that's where Eternally also helps health systems with closing the gap. Not only are we helping their patients have these conversations, but we're also informing those physicians and those care teams of what those decisions were so that it's actionable in the event of an emergency.
0: Well, we're going to talk a lot about people, challenges that that are facing healthcare right now. So you're in Philadelphia. Have you scaled beyond the Philadelphia market at this point?
1: Yeah. So we have health system partners in four states right now. So Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Delaware, and California.
0: Fantastic. Well, my parents are in Pennsylvania. We'll have to compare notes at some point. So we have, we have a bunch of really uh, interesting stories. So we've talked about companies should brace for a culture of quitting. Really, we glossed over it in one of the previous episodes. We're going to go into it in detail on this one. That's based on a Gardner story. And we have some information from that. Uh, Surgeon General Vivek Murthy sounds warning for healthcare workers, burnout, resignation, and we have some interesting things moving forward. So we're, we're going to go back and forth on some of those. And if there's some time, we'll talk about some things that Sequoia Capital is putting out there. So companies brace for a culture of quitting was summarized in Becker's Hospital. And they said uh, organizations should prepare themselves for a continuation of quits as a new culture of quitting becomes the norm and annual quit rates stands to jump nearly 20% which is pretty high. Pre-pandemic average for quits stood at $31.9 million, but that figure could rise to $37 million. So that's interesting in and of itself, but we also have the actual Gartner study itself. And so Gartner says U.S. total annual employee turnover will likely jump by nearly 20%, which is what they summarized. New employee expectations and the availability of hybrid arrangements will continue to fuel the rise of attrition. Let's stop there. Let's start the conversation there. Employee expectations, they really have changed as a result of the pandemic. I mean, the the nature of work has really changed.
1: Yeah. Our frontline workers are just getting beat up and I have a lot of empathy for what they're going through each and every day to take care of the millions of patients that have COVID or COVID symptoms and understanding what they're going through in terms of managing those COVID patients, but also the, the patients that are otherwise regularly coming in and just making sure that we are giving them the tools to do their jobs well. That's that's becoming more and more of a challenge with resources stepping back and saying, is this something that I really want to continue with under these circumstances? It's been challenging. And so with those limited resources, we're seeing even more strain on those healthcare workers and even more challenges arise based on those Inconsistencies with matching resources, schedules, and competencies.
0: As we look at this, I, I've said on this show and, and a couple other venues now, I've said we will have a nursing shortage for the next thirty years, mm-hmm. and part of it is they now have options. Right before you were a nurse, you were a nurse. This is what you did. You were either a traveling nurse, you did home health, or you were in a, a health system. There there wasn't a lot of options, but one of the options now is. They could go work for eternally and and help people put together advanced directives. And that's not a slight. I mean, that's, that's a phenomenal option for them. They have options and you're just one of many. We need nurses to go into clinical informatics. We need them to go into data science. We need them. And they're looking at it going, you know what? That's, that is more in line with the lifestyle I want, the, the flexibility I'm looking for in a work arrangement. And maybe they don't have, maybe they just are tired of dealing with potentially ornery parent or uh, ornery patients or ornery family members of patients who aren't happy with the care they're receiving at the health system. So they're, they have options that they, they didn't have before, and they're looking for that flexibility and maybe a little different lifestyle. And that's, that's a good thing for, for them, right? We're happy for them. They're getting those options. But it it is creating some real shortages and challenges for healthcare delivery.
1: That's right. When we're thinking about patients that are going through something scary or traumatic, or even patients that are aging and need to start thinking about what type of care do I want in the event of an emergency, we know that those patients aren't being met with the same resources, the time that they might need to consider all their options. Because of the limited resources, they might be jumping to treatment, or they might be going to the next step without taking that step back with the resources that they might have typically been given. And that's really where Eternally shines as an intervention in partnership with health systems. We've gotten thousands of applicants from nurses around the country. Based on what you've said, they are really looking for that fit, both with their schedule, maybe it's families, and being able to continue to provide their clinical expertise, but from the comfort of their own home. So when we talk about how do we make sure that we're scaling appropriately and we're evaluating the nurse applications that we've received, number one, it's, it's not only evaluating their clinical experience, maybe it's their schooling and actual practice of, of medicine, but it's also about the emotional intelligence that they're able to convey over the phone or over a screen. Because end-of-life planning is hard, we need there to be compassion, compassion, empathy and really a passionate caregiver that can connect with a patient while they're trying to absorb all these different scenarios that they and their families might go through in the future and what does that mean to them and and how do we make sure that they feel comfortable with those decisions well we're providing a lot of education and oftentimes this is the patient's very first time hearing any of these terms uh, and what an end of life or what a meaningful life might mean to them. And that's why it's important that our clinicians are there to provide that very uh, first conversation, that first step into understanding what this medical treatment might feel like.
0: Yeah, it's, it's interesting. As you talk about what you're looking for, and nurses are so good at that, that's the reason they got into healthcare. I read Vivek Murthy's, what do they call it? Advisory sounds warning. On healthcare worker burnout and resignation and essentially what he's saying is we need health systems to have that same empathy for their workers and understand that they're bringing burdens to work they're bringing the, again the same burdens we all face we have to care for our parents we have to care for our, our kids and during the pandemic we couldn't send them to school we had a lot of things so they're, they're bringing all those things and then they're fighting with things at the health system. Let me see if there's two paragraphs in here specifically. Reducing the administrative burden is essential, he said, because workers' time should be spent with patients in the community and building relationships with their colleagues. Berthey cited research showing that it that isn't always the case, with one study revealing that on average, primary care workers will spend two hours a day on administrative tasks for every one hour of direct patient care. He goes on, among other Recommendations, the advisory suggested healthcare organizations provide all workers with living wage, paid sick and family leave, rest breaks, evaluation of workloads and working hours, educational debt support, and family-friendly policies, including children and care for older adults. It also advocates for adequate staffing, including surge capacity for public health emergencies.
1: You mentioned that the daily commute to get to the office or to get to the health system. So I think all of those things really limit our capacity to make sure that we're showing up for our, our healthcare workers and, and making sure that we have that empathy. But when you remove those barriers and make it very simple for that clinician to just do the thing that they want to do and make them feel good and shine, we're really allowing that clinician not only to excel at what they knew best, but thrive in it as well. So we're excited to be able to provide that opportunity. I get a ton of energy from our providers. They are amazing and so passionate. So it's, it's really enlightened me as to what happens when you remove those barriers.
0: All right, we'll get back to our show in just a minute. I want to tell you about the podcast that I am the most excited about right now that I am listening to as often as I possibly can. And that is the town hall show that we launched on the community channel, This Week Health Community, and it airs on Tuesdays and Thursdays. What I've done is I have uh, essentially recruited these great hosts who are coming in and they're tapping people in their networks and having conversations with them about the things that are frontline kind of stuff. So it's, it's technical deep dives, it's hot button issues, it's tactical challenges. It's all the stuff that is happening right there where you live on a daily basis. We have some great hosts on this show. We have Charles Boise, who's a, a data scientist, Craig Richardville, Lee Milligan, Reed Steffen, who are all CIOs. We have Jake Lancaster, Brett Oliver, who are CMIOs. We have Mark Weissman, who is a former CMIO and host of the CMIO podcast, and now a CIO at Title Health. And we also have the incomparable Sue Shade, who is fantastic. And I'm, I'm really excited about the fact that she's tapping into her network and having some great conversations as well. I'd love for you to tune into these episodes. I am learning a ton myself. You can subscribe on our community channel, This Week Health Community. You can do that on iTunes, on Spotify on Google, on Stitcher, you name it. We're out there and you can subscribe there and start having a listen yourself. All right, let's get back to our show. Let me put you in a different role. I just made you the head of Penn University Health System. Congratulations on your promotion or demotion. I don't know. You you probably have a pretty good you know, work life and balance right now, uh, but I'm going to put you in charge of a health system. Very challenging situation to be in right now. Um, you're worried about the fact that you have a lot of traveling nurses filling in gaps for nurses that have left and gone to work for you because you have a great work environment and you're giving them the ability to do the thing they love doing. How, how are we going to stem the tide of nurses just walking out the door so that we can continue to, to provide care in Philadelphia?
1: Well, thank you for the new title. I'm not sure (laughs) it's one that I've wanted, but there's a lot of factors that are, implicating these staffing decisions. One thing that I've read a lot about recently is how the travel nurse industry and supply chain are also impacting the high costs going into these staffing decisions. And when nurses are, are leaving, quitting in droves, then how might we also align our supplies and, and staffing? So the cost for staffing agencies, travel nurses to supplement the, the nursing uh shortage is very, very high. So in order to make significant change, there needs to be a fundamental shift in the way that we treat and compensate our healthcare workers. I know that this has been making headlines in in California and elsewhere, but how might we value those that are full-time on staff or even part-time on staff the same way we value those that are traveling to fill gaps in our health system? And I think that's a fundamental issue that needs to change based on some recent events, but you know, making sure that the physicians and clinicians, when they arrive, have the supplies that they need to do the job, because that's also part of how we value them and how they feel good about doing their job. It's not just about making sure that they have a team to rely on. It's also about how they have the, the materials, the tools, the resources that they need to execute. So it's kind of a balance between... Reevaluating the compensation, but also making sure that those tools and supplies are available as well. So I might also tag my COO counterparts and other CFO counterparts to make sure that we're thinking about this more holistically in terms of bringing patient care to the for- forefront and balancing that with, you know, really getting at the heart of why our nurses are leaving. It's not just about pay. It, it's certainly a big part, but it's about that uh, evaluation of how are we failing them? And it's, it's seeing the competition getting paid higher. It's seeing you know packages of materials and tools not arriving because of supply chain shortages. So how might we better plan from the get-go?
0: You have a management consulting background. I have a management consulting background. So we're gonna brainstorm here in a minute as CEOs of of health systems, what specific strategies we would do. One thing to share before we get there. So Greg Till is the chief people officer at Providence Health System. And he had this one line post on LinkedIn workforce strategy. Doesn't just support business strategy. It is business strategy. That's never been more apparent or important. And I think, you know, you and I as CEOs of health systems now, we're looking at this going, yeah, if it wasn't apparent before, it's really apparent now. And so what kinds of things can we do to send this tide? I mean, one of the things that we used to do at St. Joe's, we used to do these poll surveys and the poll surveys were really interesting. We did them on a quarterly basis and I would look at the numbers. And one of the things that would tell me very clearly is which ones of my managers had, had were able to build a culture that people wanted to work in. Because it's not just one organization where, because you put managers in charge of different things, one of the things that would happen is I'd look across the board and I'd say, okay, these 10 managers are doing a great job. These people like working here. They're pretty excited. They're pretty engaged. Now I'd look at these other two and go, man, that's the complete opposite. And generally speaking, it was a manager problem. It was They were good at, at doling out tasks and saying, hey, here's the work that needed to be done. and But they, they maybe lacked the emotional intelligence, they maybe lack the empathy, they maybe lacked the ability to create culture. And some of that might be education. Some of that might just be a a bad fit. And so I I think from a strategy standpoint, we have to be more cognizant of the people that we've put in charge of different things, especially in this environment. It's very very sensitive right now. And if you don't have the right people in place, you're just going to see people leave in, in droves. So that's, I mean, that's one of the things that we did at St. Joe's I think that was, that was helpful. As you think about the other challenges that employees have, what are, what are some other things you think might be important to do?
1: Yeah. So employee surveys and and poll surveys are, are fantastic. I think one of the challenges that I've seen with them in recent years is people saving all their comments for the survey. When the survey's released, I'm going to really let them know how I feel. So I I think that culture of transparency throughout the year is what enables that culture shift to take place. And when you're doing it from the top, when you're providing transparency around the mission and values of the organization, as well as the struggles, you're going to have a culture of understanding and awareness. This is why we're doing things the way we're doing them. Maybe this is a temporary solution to the problem. But we have this ultimate goal of serving the patient first. And and these decisions are all going to align to that. But we have to go through these tough times, whether it's due to staffing shortage or a supply shortage. These are the decisions we're making in the interim so that we can get over this hump. So I think it's really empowering leaders to communicate more transparently about these decisions. Whether it's you know partnering with third parties like Eternally or with travel nursing agencies or elsewhere, why are we doing this? It's not because we don't believe in you. It's not because we don't value you. It's because we're as a nation we're going through a tough time. It's not just us. And so when you're able to check in and provide that insight to to managers, to line leaders, to those that design staffing schedules, it is helpful in terms of making sure that. The, these team members know that they're valued and that while it's tough everybody is going through the same thing and that's where these decisions are being made and that it's not intended to continue based on the values of the organization right this having a stabbing shortage is not putting the patient first they're not getting the treatment that they might have otherwise gotten or might get at another facility but this is how the organization is conquering it in the short term recognizing it's a challenging plan
0: so matt did you ever I, you're C, co-founder, CEO of an organization. Do you ever take a look at Glassdoor and see the comments there? And if I were a health system CIO, should I be taking a look at that? Because that's, I mean, it's anonymous. So it's, uh, it's a little easier to just say whatever you want to say.
1: Yeah, Glassdoor is a great tool to get the pulse of the organization. I know that you can contribute as a current or former employee and sometimes people feel a little bit safer after they've left an organization. So it could be another tool in addition to an exit interview that gives you insight of what went wrong. So I think there's always a healthy gut check from Glassdoor. It's not the only tool that I would rely on as.
0: Yeah. The, you know, the, the, the gut tool. check is, is good. I, I remember when I was hired in, I had no healthcare experience and the initial reactions on, on Glassdoor. If, if I had spent too many days out there, my, my, I think my confidence would have been shot. I mean, people were like, well, this person doesn't know anything about healthcare. They've never been in healthcare. Anyway, it was, that was, that was pretty difficult. But let me give you another one. That would, I, when we talk about having empathy for the challenges that people are bringing into work, Jonathan Goldberg, executive VP and CIO for a health system, I don't know which one I, it doesn't show me here. As of today, we are now offering a day, adult daycare to our IT department. This innovative program allows staff who may need some time away from their uh, kids or a significant other wants some alone time to come to our corporate center for supervised activities or even get in some work while here. Just one more reason we are the workplace of choice in our region. This is probably the biggest benefit I think that's going on is we are rethinking the nature of work, healthcare is on-site. At the end of the day, you're still going to have to battle the Philadelphia traffic, or the LA traffic, or Chicago traffic to get to your hospital. But what can we do once people get there to alleviate some of the concerns that they left at home, or some of the some of the the, the challenges of commuting? I mean, are we going to pay people a little bit more because they're commuting rather than flexible? work or or can we even come up with something in the way that supports clinicians lifestyle and get more flexible with scheduling? I I think those conversations are, are happening more regularly because we're worried about this, this, uh, this shortage of, of people. And I I believe, you know, even, even the uh, just, Most health systems, most boardrooms right now are having these kinds of conversations. What can we do for our employees? What can we do to make it better for them? Any other ideas? Sort of strike you? Access to mental health, I think, is another one that that people are that health systems are are putting out there for their clinicians.
1: Yeah, I I give a lot of kudos to those that are thinking differently about the the package, the total benefit package that they give to their teams. I, I think thinking differently is the only way we're going to get better at this. And our healthcare system is is not in a good place right now in terms of how we're treating our healthcare workers and the stress that we're putting them under. So anything that we can do to alleviate those burdens and barriers is going to be helpful. I've seen a lot of companies starting to engage the healthcare community because of the benefits they offer, like Headspace or Calm, like Allbirds giving sneakers to healthcare workers. So I think we're starting to see more of that cross section between those consumer products with the healthcare organizations. Um, And I think, yeah, while those are appreciated, it's not changing the fundamental issues at play. So I, I like the idea of creating a space, a safe space, if you will, for those that decompression period, instead of going home, the amount of stress that we're putting on the caregiver in our country is absurd and the resources are not there to support those hours that Seemingly, don't go accounted for. So, anything that we're doing to support that additional uh, burden is is helpful. Whether that's actual hands-on resources, getting connected to financial planning services, or end-of-life planning services, or health, mental health services, all of those things are, are going to add up to support that additional burden people are taking on, and it's mostly women that are taking on that burden, whether it's caring for their parents or their children and making sure that those hours, whatever they are, whatever they're spent doing are, are being supported by resources that either their employer or their community is offering them.
0: Yep. Start up, you're in four states. I assume you want to be in 50 states and Sequoia Capital writes this. So Sequoia Capital warns founders of longer economic downturn market is in a crucible moment. So they have a couple of things in here. They, they had a 52 slide presentation that they gave out to 250 founders, warning them about the things I just talked about. These are turbulent financial markets and rising inflation are going to create prolonged economic downturn. There's the potential for that is essentially what they're saying. And they're leaning more towards that is going to be the case for the next couple of years. We do not believe this is going to be another steep correction followed by an equally swift V-shaped recovery like we saw on the outset of the pandemic. We expect the market downturn to impact consumer behavior, labor markets, supply chains, and more. It'll be a longer recovery. And while we can't predict how long, we can advise on ways to prepare. And so they're talking to Again, they're venture capital firm, so they're talking to startups like others, such as Lightspeed Ventures Partners and Y Combinator, who have warned startups about the upcoming difficulties Sequoia suggests immediately cutting burn rates to stock up on cash reserves for the coming months when funding may be harder to come by. Don't view cuts as negative, but as a way to conserve cash and run faster. Companies who move the quickest have the most runway, and it goes on and has a uh, obviously 52 slides, I'm not going to go through 52 slides, but that sort of, that sort of captures it. They're sort of looking at this saying, look, these supply chains have been, have been through geopolitical issues have been in the pandemic have been, and will potentially be irreparably harmed and changed moving forward. Uh, So you have that, you have obviously we producers in Russia and Ukraine, not shipping you have. So we are for the first time going to supermarkets and not seeing things. So that's going to impact consumer behavior. And there's a lot of things going on and they're, they're coaching to organizations like yours is, Hey, the, the markets may not be as open to, or there might not be as much capital available as, as you hear some of these things. How do you sort of process it? Clearly you're in a a space that's needed and providing a service that is uh, needed by health systems and needed by the community. So there's confidence there, but you're heading into a, in rough seas, I guess we'll call it. How, How do you, how do you process this?
1: So I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but we've gotten really good at running a lean and mean organization. And I think demonstrating that traction with the limited resources that Eternally has had thus far has contributed to the attention that we're getting from the investor pool, right? How Look how far we've gotten with what little we've had. And so I'm really proud of that. And I think in terms of demonstrating a continued path forward, it's being able to articulate how we can use funds in a really smart way and making sure that we're investing in spaces that help us grow faster. And part of that is diversification. Where are our funds, where are our revenue streams and how might we position ourselves to make sure that we're as much as possible trying to limit exposure to risky spaces. We're not going to be impacted by supply chain internally. However, our partners certainly are and that affects their financial decisions of how do we partner or when do we partner? So it's not, we're not, approve from, from those external factors. And I, I do think that that's part of our overall plan to continue to diversify revenue streams and partner with healthcare organizations and non-clinical entities in, in new and in, in interesting ways to make sure that people have access to end-of-life planning resources. A health and human services study in September of 2020 highlighted that 83% of Americans that are getting access today to advanced care planning are Caucasian. And so we know that there are so many people out there that just don't know where to start or just don't understand how important this is to make sure that you have the ability to articulate the treatment that you want, that nobody else is deciding for you. This is your decision and you're in control of your health care. And we want to help with that. So how do, how do we do that? And how do we make sure that we're scaling in the right way to, to meet millions and millions of Americans' needs?
0: So you're, you're purpose-driven. So you feel very kind con- uh, the optimism is, is palpable, by the way, in terms of what you're doing and, and those kinds of things. It's actually, one of the things that was interesting is there was all that, I don't know what the right word is, but there was all the commotion about Elon Musk's hour and a half podcast he did last week and whatnot. But one of the things he said I think is, is applicable here is they asked him about a downturn in the markets and he said, I think it's a good thing. And, and he said, here's why it's a good thing. When you have uh, good markets for too long, the allocation of capital gets skewed. There's just so much money out there. It gets given to, to people that shouldn't get money to do things that aren't really needed well, maybe not aren't really needed is is a little little, uh, overstating it, but that aren't the best. And he goes, when you have a contraction of markets, that capital goes away from the ideas that aren't the best and the the things that really shouldn't be funded. And the best ideas get funded and people go to work for companies that have uh, value to the communities that they serve and those kinds of things. And so you end up reallocating capital to the things that add value to our lives. And he said, so from that perspective, we should welcome economic downturns every, every now and then to just reallocate capital to the things that bring value to our lives. So, I mean, there's, there's a positive aspect from that perspective. I'll tell you what I have been telling health systems on this is go back and look at the companies that you have uh, partnered with, or especially on the technology side, which is the world I live in. You have to be careful. I mean, they have to have good sound plans entering a potential downturn. Do they have the money or are they going to end up in a death spiral or they're getting lower valuations? They have to take money at lower valuations, and, in which case they just auger themselves into the ground. Because if I buy the stuff as a CIO, implement the stuff, and then the company goes out of business, that's, that's, a, that's the worst case scenario. And so I'm telling them anything you've done over the last five years, just look at the Look at the business plan, make sure that they're solid. Anything you're looking to invest in coming up, just have the conversations. It's not that you shouldn't invest. You should continue to invest, but you need to be aware of the, the the risks in the current environment that we're operating in.
1: Yeah. Really good advice. And personally, that's a tough pill to swallow, but professionally, I think you're absolutely right. And we're seeing that both in conversations with investors, but also with talent. So, A lot of the shifts in the market recently, um, especially with the massive layoffs in tech, people are turning to those organizations that are more mission-driven, that actually have a backbone and care about improving the world. And so we've seen that in in who we're looking to hire and evaluating potential new team members, and we're really excited that we can fulfill that mission with such an amazing talent pool and hopefully attract more talent because of that. I never thought that I would have a a massive bandwagon of people trying to jump on this death tech, as it's known, train. But I think in terms of making sure resources are available to those that today or traditionally have not had access, yeah, people are interested in changing that. Our healthcare system is not providing the right care at the right time right now, and we can do better.
0: Maddie, I, I appreciate the conversation. I appreciate the work that you're doing. If people want more information on Eternally, where do they go?
1: www.myeternally.com.
0: MyEternally.com. Was eternally.com already taken?
1: Yes, it was.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not, now I'm a little curious as to who has eternally.com.
1: Yeah, and that's another conversation. But <laughs> if, I'm, if I'm talking to them right now, I would love to reintroduce ourselves and have that conversation to get it back.
0: So, myeternally.com, and you right now are in four states, but I assume. If you got phone calls from other states, you are entertaining those conversations with the right foundation. You could move into other states. That's
1: right. Yes.
0: Fantastic. Thank you again for your time. Really appreciate it. Thank you. What a great discussion. If you know someone that might benefit from our channel from these kinds of discussions, please forward them a note. Perhaps your team, your staff. I know if I were a CIO today, I would have every one of my team members listening to a show just like this one. It's conference level value every week. They can subscribe on our website, thisweekhealth.com. They can also subscribe wherever they listen to podcasts, Apple, Google, Overcast. You get the picture. We are everywhere. Go ahead, subscribe today. We want to thank our Newsday sponsors who are investing in our mission to develop the next generation of health leaders. Those are CrowdStrike, Proofpoint, ClearSense, Meditech, Cedar Sinai Accelerator, Talk Desk, and Doctor First. Thanks for listening. That's all for now.